All right. Well, we are continuing our series on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And this morning we're in verse 16 where it says, in addition to all of this or along with all of the other things that I've been telling you, Paul says to take up the shield of faith. So that involves an action that we are to do. We are to take the shield of faith and pick it up. With which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. So the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now we know, and we have talked about the fact that there is an enemy that we face. Spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. He is on the attack. He prowls about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And here it talks about flaming arrows that are being shot at us and the shield of faith with which we can extinguish those arrows. Now, uh, I'm going to talk this morning about faith and hopefully help you understand a little bit better what exactly biblical faith is. Because in the world today, the, the term faith is a welcome one. People talk about faith all the time. Believing. There's posters in, in stores that will say believe or, or have faith or something along those lines. But it's very important that you understand as Christians in this spiritual battle what true biblical faith is. Because here's the deal. You can have a beautiful-looking shield. It can look just right. But if it's made out of the wrong material, guess what happens when the flaming arrow hits it? The flaming arrow goes through. If you have a shield of faith that's made of paper, you are not going to be able to defend yourself against the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we're going to talk about uh, what faith is. And I want to give you a statement that I think is important. True faith emerges in the context of eternity. Now stop and think about that for just a moment. True faith emerges or comes forth in the context of eternity. And the reason I want you to to understand that is that biblical faith is always forward-looking. And ultimately, ultimately, biblical faith looks beyond this world to the world in which we are going to spend eternity. That is the world wherein we will see the Lord face to face. He will dwell among His people. He will be our light, it says in Revelation 21. So true faith emerges in the context of eternity. So the the foundational understanding of biblical faith is you're looking ahead beyond what happens in this world only to eternity. Now that's not to say that biblical faith doesn't impact what happens in this world. It certainly does. It absolutely does. But ultimately, it goes far beyond that. Because throughout the centuries... There have been countless saints who have, because of their faith, been taken from this world. And we might look at them and say, whoa, what happened? How come they were defeated? How come the, 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 the Roman persecution got them? How come their faith wasn't able to overcome? 
when in fact, their faith did overcome because they kept it, because they were looking towards a, a world that they could not see but that they knew existed, where God dwelled. So, biblical faith. What is faith? Well, let's start with the biblical definition. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the assurance of things hoped for. That's the biblical definition. The evidence of things not seen, we can't see them with our physical eyes, but there is evidence for us with regards to those things that we can't see and the assurance of things that we are hoping for. And again, with that earlier statement I made, true faith emerges in the context of eternity, the evidence of things not seen, the spiritual world around us that we do not see, we know exists by faith. The existence of a heavenly city where God dwells. We know that and have hope for that. We are assured of that because of faith. So faith is the evidence of things not seen, the assurance of things hoped for. And again, biblical faith, the kind of faith that creates a shield that will withstand the flaming arrows of the enemy, is very clearly defined for us in the Bible. Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, he said, have faith in God. So biblical faith starts with a belief in God the Father, that there is a creator, an originator, one who existed before time began and will exist beyond time. He exists in infinity. So Jesus said, have faith in God. Have trust in God. And then in John chapter 14, <clears throat> Jesus said, you believe in God to his disciples. He's having this conversation with them in the upper room. He says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. So biblical faith starts with a belief in God the Father, but it also contains belief in God the Son. <clears throat> and this is very important because John chapter 3, verse 16 said, For God so loved the world, God the Father so loved the world, that He sent His only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believe on Him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. So Jesus said, You believe in God, Believe also in me, the Son. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul writes to the Galatians that we are to have faith or belief in the promise of the Holy Spirit. Belief in the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, every one of you who are here this morning who is a believing Christian who has been converted, your soul has been transformed through the Word of God and you have believed in God and you have become a new creation in Christ, inside of you dwells the Holy Spirit of God. You are a temple of the Spirit, the Bible says. And you have to believe that. That is a part of foundational biblical faith. So we believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son, and we believe in the indwelling of God the Spirit. When you maintain that kind of a faith, 
That is the material that makes up a shield that will withstand the flaming arrows of the enemy. A belief in the triune God. Also, the Bible says, in addition to having faith in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, we are to believe the gospel. Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 15, this is his very first words. Jesus is just coming onto the scene. And his first message to the, to the Jewish people is repent and believe the gospel. So a part of biblical faith is a belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ contains? Can you repeat what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about? You need to be able to do that because that is going to help you hold up that shield of faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, again, very simply what I read to you in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God loves the world. And because of that love, He sent His Son to us to become one of us, to live among us, to become a faithful high priest who is well acquainted with weaknesses, who understood all of the things that we go through as human beings. He was tired. He was hungry. He was wearied. He grieved. He experienced everything that we experienced, yet he was without sin. And because he was without sin, he was able to go to the cross on our behalf. The sinless Lamb of God offered up as a perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary to take upon himself the sin of the world. He took my sin and your sin. The sin of the whole world upon himself. But then on the third day, because he was without sin, because the sin that caused him to die was the sin of the world, his own sin did not exist. He did not sin. He was without sin. And so on the third day, he rose up from the dead, proving that he was God, proving that he had power over death and over hell. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are to believe in, that God the Son came to this world, became one of us, died on the cross for us, for our sin, paying the price for our sin, and rose from the dead, proving that he was the sinless Lamb of God, had power over death and hell, and was able to extend the offer of eternal life to each and every human being who would believe. So what is faith? Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the assurance of things hoped for. Faith, in a biblical sense, is faith in God the Father, faith in God the Son, faith in God the Spirit that they exist, and that they have a purpose and a role in our lives today. And also faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, if you have that kind of a shield of faith, there's not a single flaming arrow that is going to penetrate and get through to you. So why is faith important? How come God set it up that we have to believe? Well, that's a tough question. I'll give you some of my thoughts on that. First comes straight from the Scriptures, Hebrews 11.6. Faith is important because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, why God set faith up the way He did, I don't know, but I know this. He set it up because it pleases Him. It pleases God for us to believe in Him when we have not seen Him. Do you remember the passage in, in John where 
Thomas came into the upper room and the disciples were telling him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He appeared to us. He's alive. And Thomas said to his fellow disciples, unless I put my hand in his side and I touch his wounds and I see him with my own eyes, I will not believe. A week later or so, Jesus appeared once again in the upper room to the disciples and Thomas was with them this time. And Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, put your hand on my side. Look and see. It is me. But then he said something very interesting to Thomas. He said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's every one of us here this morning. Anyone here seen the Lord physically? No. But we all know He exists, don't we? We are blessed because we are exercising faith because we believe in someone that we have not seen, but we have evidence for. We have hope in one that we have not encountered physically, but we are assured exists. It's a blessing. So faith pleases God. Faith also is the fuel that powers salvation. Faith is the fuel that powers salvation. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that by grace you are saved. It's a gift of God. Through faith. So we're saved by grace through faith through belief, through trust, through understanding the gospel that I just shared with you. Jesus' coming to earth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Through faith in that, we are saved by grace. It's a gift of God. So faith is the fuel that powers salvation. You've got to believe in order to be saved. No matter how many good works you do, no matter how many charitable deeds you perform, you cannot be saved unless you believe and trust in the gospel. So faith is the fuel, the power of salvation. Also, and perhaps as important as the other two, is that faith dictates or directs how we live. And this is true not only of Christians. This is true of all human beings. Faith, a belief in something, dictates or directs how we live. The things that we believe ultimately are the things that move us forward. That inform us as to what we should do, how we are to live our lives. I'll just give you an example. And this is a real simple one. You could find much better ones than this, I'm sure. But when you have a headache, when your head is throbbing, what you believe about how to address that issue will direct your behavior about how you take care of it. If you believe that taking an aspirin will alleviate the headache, then that's what you're going to do. You're going to take it an aspirin with a glass of water and 
and you're going to trust that the headache is going to be taken care of. If you don't believe in aspirin, but you believe in some other kind of activity, that's what you're going to do. If you believe that headaches are just a part of life, and that's what we must endure, then you're just going to let it ride. But it's what you believe that directs how you address that headache. And it's the same way for all of us in our lives. We make choices and decisions based upon the things that we truly believe. I'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. So faith is important because it pleases God. Faith is important because it fuels salvation. And faith is important because it directs how we live our lives. So it's important for us, especially, I think, as Christians, to understand where we, were, where we are at personally with regards to faith. In the four words I have up there, we have, I have growing in the Word, in the Spirit, and in the faith. The Bible talks about four different statuses for believers with regards to faith. So just listen to these four and try to determine where you're at. And just because you may be at a certain place doesn't mean that's where you have to stay. I think all of us will sometimes ping-pong back and forth between some of these categories. But first and foremost, or not first and foremost, but first, is we can be in a position of faith where we are lacking in faith. We're weak in faith. Paul talked about that when he wrote to the Thessalonians. In Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, 1 Thessalonians, Paul said that he hoped to come and visit the Thessalonians because he wanted to supply to them what was lacking in their faith. So there was something, I don't know what exactly it was, but there was something about the Thessalonians' faith that was lacking, that did not rise up to where Paul wanted it to be. They were lacking in faith. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves, lacking in faith. We just don't have enough faith to believe for whatever. Second place that we can be with regards to faith is growing in faith. And hopefully this is a place where where most of us are. We can be growing in faith. The Thessalonians, Paul said, were lacking in faith. But in his second epistle to the Thessalonians, he wrote to them in, in, in verse Uh, 3 of chapter 1, he said to the Thessalonians, it's heard all around the Roman Empire how you are growing in faith. Now, see, Paul had only been at Thessalonica for three weeks. He spent three Sabbaths there teaching them. So he wasn't able to stay for a long time with the Thessalonians. And that's no doubt why they were lacking in the faith that Paul desired them to have. He wasn't able to share everything with them that he desired to. But somehow... Through the power of God, because Paul didn't get back to Thessalonica, somehow in the power of God, they began to grow in their faith. God gave them the resources they needed to grow to the point where Paul said it's heard throughout the whole region that you are growing in your faith. So we can grow in our faith. There's that one uh, episode where uh, Jesus was telling the disciples that if they had this faith the size of a mustard seed, they could speak to a mountain and it would be removed. And the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. So even the disciples recognized there was the possibility of faith growing. So how do you grow in faith? 
What is the mechanism by which each of us can begin to grow or increase our faith? Well, it comes through this book. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. That's how faith comes. You have to hear the Word of God. So, if you want to grow in faith, you need to be in this book. You need to be in Bible study. You need to be in a life group. You need to be getting together with others. You need to be in prayer, seeking God's face about what this book says and what God is speaking to you. That's how you grow. That's how you begin to grow in faith is by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But it's not hearing only. Faith begins through hearing by the Word of God. But faith is not consummated by hearing only. James talks about that. He said to the, his, his readers, don't be hearers of the Word only, but be doers of the Word. And I re- want to read a passage out of James. It's in chapter 2 of James, and it's um, about 12 verses or so, but it's important stuff. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered Righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and thus the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith or belief alone. So, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But we cannot be hearers only. We must be doers of the Word also. That's where faith is consummated. When Abraham offered up his son Isaac on the altar, his faith was consummated. Remember what I said? Faith directs what we do, how we live our lives. If we truly believe something, it will spring into action in our lives. If we don't follow up what we believe with action, then we really don't truly believe it. So if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to expand our belief, we need to be doing as well as believing. They come together as one. Illustration. In the land of Israel, there is a river that comes down out of the mountains and it pours into the Sea of Galilee. Of course, this river is the Jordan. And coming into the Sea of Galilee, there is, the Galilee is full of life. Of course, they were fishermen. And, and, and it's full of fish and life and abundance. And that's because there was a flow through the Sea of Galilee. The, the, 
Jordan flew, flowed into it, and then it flowed out of the Sea of Galilee. And then the Jordan flows into the Dead Sea. And into the Dead Sea, there is nothing. There is no outlet from the Dead Sea. And of course, because of that, because there's no outlet, it is lifeless. So it's the same way with us with regards to faith. We can believe, we can have that Jordan flowing into our lives, but if we don't allow it to flow out of us, we'll have no life within us. So we can be growing in our faith. As we grow in our faith, we have to continue in our faith or persevere in our faith. Paul and Barnabas, after they had gone through their first uh, missionary journey, revisited the cities that they had shared the gospel in. And it says in, in Acts 14.22 that they encouraged or exhorted all of the new believers to continue in or to persevere in the faith. And this is important because sometimes those th things that we believe, the evidence of the things that we don't see, the assurance of things that we hope for, don't necessarily come around uh, uh, to fulfillment right away. How many of you have prayed for a long time for something and have still not seen the results of the, that prayer? Exactly. All of you have. Sure you have. That's persevering faith. You haven't seen the results yet, but you know, you are assured that ultimately those results will come about. That persevering type of faith is necessary for us because there are going to come times where you will encounter difficult circumstances, where it seems like God is distant and he's just not listening. And that's where you need to have that faith that perseveres, that continues, that doesn't give up during difficult times. And then finally, there are those moments, uh, perhaps rare, maybe not for some of you, where we are full of faith. It describes Stephen as a man full of faith. He, of course, was the first martyr. He was the one who was stoned to death for his belief in God. It said he was a man full of faith. Barnabas also is described as a man full of faith. And being full of something, in a biblical sense, means we are controlled by that. If we're full of the Spirit, we are controlled by the Spirit. If we are full of faith, we are controlled by faith. If we are filled with anger, we're controlled by anger. So we can be full of faith, controlled by or directed by, assured by faith. In your bulletins, one of the questions I've, I've given in the points to ponder is when you encounter a difficult circumstance or situation, what is your first reaction? Is it faith or fear? Now, if you're full of faith, it's going to be faith. But if you're not full of faith, if you're lacking or you're just beginning to grow, then you might encounter some of those situations with a fearful heart. But if you're full of faith, you know that regardless of the situation, you're going to come through it. Even if coming through it means dying in this life. Ultimately, your trust and, and, and assurance is in God. So you can lack in faith, you can be growing in faith, we need to have a persevering or a continuing faith, and we can also be, and ought to be, 
people filled with faith or controlled by faith. It ought to dictate exactly how we live our lives. So, wielding the shield of faith. How do we do that? Well, I want to suggest to you that three ways to do it. First, offensively. The shield was not just a defensive weapon. It was an offensive weapon. It allowed troops to collectively move forward towards the uh, armament or the encampment of their enemy. They would come together and they would put these shields up. The shields were like two feet by four feet. And they would collectively put the shields up to make one large shield. And they would move forward towards their enemy's camp. The Bible says that we are supposed to be going. Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, to go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So we are to be offensive, moving forward in our faith and taking that shield of faith as we move forward because there will be some resistance as we're doing that. One of the things I want you to know about coming into this fall is uh, we're going to be having an emphasis on evangelism, an, emph an emphasis on training for evangelism. Spencer Nickel has agreed to teach a group, and we'll see however many of us sign up, but to teach a group of us how to be personal evangelists, to reach out with our faith, and to impact this community with our belief that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to be offensive, moving forward with that shield of faith. We have a message of salvation that people need to hear. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So as we move forward towards the gates of hell, we will conquer. We will prevail. So that's one of the things we're going to be focusing on this fall is training for all of us learning how to be better evangelists, using that shield of faith in an offensive way. But it's also for defensive use, the shield of faith. There are times in each of our lives where Satan attacks. He is on us, and he is trying to destroy us. And we have to raise up that shield of faith in defense against him. That's what happened to Job. You read the first two chapters of Job, and Satan was after him. Satan went before the throne of God asking for permission to attack Job. And, of course, the first time he got permission to attack everything but Job's body. And Satan did exactly that. Destroyed his property holdings, killed his children, took everything that he had as a possession. And then the second time around, he began to attack him physically. And, and, and Satan, in spite of all of his attacks against Job, did not prevail. Job had a persevering faith. He had that shield up as a defense against the attacks of the enemy. Job said in Job 15.22, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So sometimes you need to be prepared, prepared to lift up that shield of faith because you are under attack. 
Things around you, the circumstances of your life are such that you are under attack and you need to raise up that shield of faith, that, that belief that you will persevere, that God is with you, that no matter what happens, though He slay you, you will still trust Him. Using that shield defensively. And then finally, we wield the shield of faith jointly. And this is very, very important. I already gave you the example of the troops advancing together with their shields, collectively making one shield. But Jesus, in, in, in the Gospels, says he sent out his disciples, first the 12 and then later a group of 70, but he did not send them out individually, did he? He sent them out two by two. Now, why do you suppose that is? Because Jesus knew that we feed off of each other's faith. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. It was very important that they go out two by two. It's important that you understand that you come together with other believers to strengthen your faith. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. And where two agree as touching anything, it will be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. So the power of agreement, the power of community is not to be underestimated. We need each other. We need to wield these shields together to support one another. I've given this scripture numerous times. In fact, I think I'll go ahead and read it. It's in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. How important it is, church, for us to do exactly what we are doing here this morning, to come together in worship, in faith, but not Sunday morning only. There has to be other times throughout your week where you're gathering with other people to worship, to talk about the Word of God, to grow together, to step out in faith together. We need one another in order to wield the shield of faith effectively. So offensively, defensively, and jointly. Very important with regards to wielding the shield of faith. Because here's the deal, and we'll conclude with this. It's in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter says, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So your inheritance is safe for you in heaven. You are shielded through faith by God's power. And in all this, you greatly rejoice. The knowledge of salvation, the assurance of the things that you hope for, you rejoice in those things. Even though now for a little while, pay attention to this, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These things have come upon you so that the proven, genuine nature of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You need the shield of faith. We need the shield of faith in our lives. We have that hope of heaven, that assurance of eternity. As we look towards eternity, faith emerges in our lives. But Peter says that we ought not count it as a surprise when we encounter fiery trials. When you go through literally hell, you can lift up that shield of faith and you can prove yourself and your faith genuine, Peter says. Resulting in joy and praise at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Isn't it going to be wonderful for each one of you to be able to stand up when Jesus calls your name and when He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Now enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what the shield of faith is all about. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given us a shield of faith, a shield made up of solid, eternal material. A belief in You, a belief in the Gospel. And You've given us tools. You've given us the Word of God to build our faith. You've given us the Spirit of God to help us to carry it out into this lost and dying world. My prayer, Father, is that in the days, in the weeks, in the months ahead, that we would begin a new experience in faith, in sharing our faith, that we would become doers of the Word and not hearers only. And that as we lift up the shield of faith, Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, for those who are growing or lacking in their faith, that you would protect them and keep them safe from the enemy. Put a hedge about them to protect them, just as you did with Job, so that they might grow and be able to stand in the day of distress. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand now and do worship uh, hymn number 529, How Firm a Foundation.